0: Let's join together again in prayer. Would you join with me in prayer? Heavenly Father, what a great affirmation for each one of us to receive this morning that Your love for us never fails, that it never gives up on us, We may have the ability to gather in this room and be present with others and, and yet inside ourselves uh, have all kinds of messes, and to be able to hear that news from You that we are loved, that even if this is the first time somebody has heard of Your love, You have intended it for them to receive. As we gather around Your Word, as we gather under Your Word this morning, in Your love for us, would You cause Your Word to go into our hearts and into our minds that we might be transformed, that our minds might be renewed, And that through the work of Your Spirit, we would live into the new life You have already secured for us. We thank You for Your love. In Christ's name, amen. Uh, Clearly, I am at the age where I can say things like, well, I remember when. (laughs) Or or back in the day, for instance, I remember when you went to an airport and you went to pick somebody up, you could go to the gate and hang out at the gate. I I know that security reasons now mean that you have to wait beyond a certain spot and you can't even let your car stay in a certain, you know, certain uh, zone at all. But back in the day, you could make your way, whether you were flying or just waiting for someone to arrive, you could go to the gate. There are a number of other things that have changed. I may have mentioned before the first flight I ever took, uh, I had to go out and buy a sports coat for it. That's right. It was a plaid sports coat, and I think I wore a turtleneck underneath. I was flying. I was just, I, I was all that. Okay, so some things change, but some things remain the same. And one of the things that remains the same, although the technology has improved, uh, is that board, is that uh, departures and arrival board, the arrivals and departures board. And you go in and you get all the information you need. And sometimes the information uh, can either be bad or good depending on the context. Like like, uh, if uh, you read on the departure board, it says now boarding. That's great news if you happen to be at your gate. Okay, great, we're going to fly. But if you just came in on a connecting flight and you arrived at Terminal H and your plane is in Terminal B and you read Now Boarding, you know you're in trouble. Sometimes it's great news. Sometimes the departure arrivals board, it tells you great news on time. (laughs) Yes, that means the plane's arrived, it looks like it's going to function, we're all good to go. But then sometimes there can be news that isn't so positive, delayed, canceled, gate change. Like, I've, I had one flight, I think it was like three or four gate changes. You know there are problems in the airport when your flight changes gates three or four times. Departures and arrivals, coming with messages, So today, we're actually starting a new sermon series that we're calling Departures and Arrivals. There's this section of John's Gospel, John 13, 31 through the end of chapter 14, that includes a number of things that Jesus says that that involve movement. They talk of goings and comings and stayings, and we're going to pick up those uh, expressions of Jesus and see what messages he connects with those movements what messages he has for us for his followers so today we're looking at that line that appears in our text where jesus says where i am going where i am going it's in john 13 31 through 35 i'm going to invite you please open up one of the bibles um, if you brought your own or f- feel free to make use of the ones we provide in the rows We'll also put it on the screen. If you're at home and you want to run and grab your Bible before you continue on, please, um, I encourage you to do so. The Gospel of John, chapter 13, verses 31 through 35. Hear the Word of God. When Judas had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in Him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples." if you have love for one another. And may God bless the reading of His Word, and may God grant His favor upon our gathering around it and under it today. Okay, the title of our sermon, Where I Am Going, these words on Jesus' lips, Where I Am Going, He's announcing a departure. We have it in verse 33 of our text where I am going. In fact, the whole of the verse reads, little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. Where I am going. You know, we have these phrases that we use when we're taking off. Uh, uh, I'm off. I'm leaving. I'm going to head out for a while. I'm going now. Whenever someone says something like that, it can tend to bring up questions, especially if the one saying that is a a, a teenager and they're (laughs) announcing to a parent, I'm out, I'm heading out. Okay, yes, and where? What are you up to? Who's going to be with you? Well, we can imagine the questions that Jesus' disciples would have had for him especially when He says, you cannot come. Where I am going, you cannot come. There's this text that appears earlier in John's gospel where the disciples had an interaction with Jesus, and it underscores how heavy of announcement this must have come to them. This is in John chapter 6, verses 66 through 69. It goes like this, After this, many of His disciples turned back and no longer walked with Jesus. So, Jesus said to the twelve, to the very ones that our passage is speaking to, so Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? Do you want to depart from me? Do you want to leave me? Simon Peter answered Him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed. And have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. The disciples, the twelve, they had staked their lives on Jesus. Not just their lives in this world, but their lives for all of eternity on Jesus. And now Jesus comes to them. Where I am going, you, you cannot come. Have you ever felt left out? Not included? Not invited to come along? I think I may have mentioned this in uh, one of our conversations in this room. So in our family, I've had the career that's had more travel with it. Vicky's career hasn't had as much travel, at least uh, away from whatever community that we've been in. And so there have been a number of trips, whether they're mission trips or conferences or uh, some additional uh, schooling that I went to. And, and uh, Vicky's always been supportive, but there is a little bit of that conversation of, Hey, Vicki, I'm, I'm, I'm off to South Africa. Or, hey, Vic, Vicki, I'm, I'm off to Romania. Um, uh, you and the kids have fun. And, and it never seemed to fail, but whenever I'm gone, uh, they would get the stomach flu or there would be this massive snowstorm or, or something like that. Would, I've seen some nodding heads, like some of you have been there before, haven't you? Uh, where I am going you cannot come. What made it worse for the disciples is that this is the same thing that Jesus had told the Jews. In fact, even in our text, Jesus mentions this. And you could go back in John's gospel, and there's a couple places, once in chapter 7 and once in chapter 8, where Jesus is seen talking to the officers of the chief priests and to the Pharisees, and He says, where I'm going, you cannot come. And so, it's one thing that, you know, back in those situations, the disciples could have go, look, at you guys are outsiders. We're insiders. You know, this is our Jesus. You guys don't get it. We're with Him. We're going to go with Him. But where I am going, you cannot come. So, where was He going? Thankfully, Jesus lets us know. There's a place back in chapter 7 in John's gospel where He tells uh, people at that time, He puts it this way, I am going to Him who sent Me. And there's twice in chapter 14 where Jesus says, uh, because I am going to the Father. So, we know that Jesus is going to this divine realm, that He's going to be with the Father. And He's going to be with the Father, and as He goes to be with the Father, at least in this situation, the others cannot follow. His hour had come. So, our last sermon series we explored. His hour had come. In other words, it was on time, it was now boarding. And with his departure, Jesus attaches a couple of messages. So, as Jesus says, I'm going, you can't follow, but there's a couple things I want you to understand about my going. In one of those messages, we'll call the glorification message, and the other we'll call the love message. So, first to the glorification message. In verses 31 through 32, the first two verses of the text we read this morning, we find these words. When Judas had gone out, Jesus said, now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once five times the word for glory or glorified um, appears in these two verses five times in just a short amount of space when we look at this text we find that it begins with now and toward the end it says at once or immediately now and immediately now at once it speaks of an intentionality of the moment that God is at work, and God is at charge. I've come to understand that there's this expression in Welsh, and maybe you've heard of it before. I'll be there now in a minute. Uh, and evidently, it makes more sense, sense in Welsh, uh, but in the translation to English, I'll be there now in a minute. Is it now, or is it in a minute? Uh, and it's supposed to convey, I'll be there soon, but it can be a little confusing. Jesus wants them to know, this is happening. Listen, God's in charge of this moment. This is taking place. It can give us confidence. It can let us know that this is not some happenstance that is somehow dependent upon a human will. But Jesus declares it ahead of time, now, immediately. Immediately. We find this expression, the Son of Man. The Son of Man. Now, we've mentioned that term that Jesus used as a way to refer to himself. and um, Let's take a little bit more time with that this morning. So, Son of Man in the Old Testament is this expression that can have a very low meaning, a very humble meaning, and a very high meaning. For instance, in Psalm 144, verse 3, we read these words O Lord, what is man that you regard him? Or the Son of Man that you think of Him? The Son of Man. What what is uh, uh, a human? What what is a human that you would think of that human? Uh, Humans are but a breath. The Son of Man is but a breath. That's a very low statement. We know that that the Word became flesh, took on this lowly nature, this fully God but fully human Son of Man. But we also find in the Old Testament that the Son of Man is such a high declaration. In Daniel, we find these words. This is chapter 7, verses 13 through 14. It says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a Son of Man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom." That all peoples, nations, and languages should serve Him. His dominion in, uh, is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. In His kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. So Jesus, the Son of Man, we find that both of these are true. That it's this very low designation, fully human. And yet He's one like the Son of Man that is going to be glorified and have dominion. And so now, immediately, the Son of Man. And then we get to this term that, and it's a little frustrating in our translations uh, because the the sense of the original language is is lost in a number of our modern day translations. Uh, the, The grammar of it, they refer to it as the prophetic perfect. There's this perfect tense of the verb taking place. The New Revised Standard Version actually does a good job in helping to portray that for us. It says, now the Son of Man has been glorified. Now the Son of Man has been glorified, and God has been glorified in Him. This idea of the, of the uh, prophetic perfect, it means that, that it's so surely going to happen that we can talk about it now as though it's already taken place. It's so surely going to happen. You can have such confidence that this is going to take place. Let's talk about it now as though it's already taken place. So Jesus says, now the Son of Man has been glorified, and God is glorified in Him. And He goes on to talk about how it's a mutual glorification. And if God has been glorified in Him, He will most surely glorify Him in Himself, glory upon glory. So why does this matter to us? It sounds so religious. Why would it matter to us? Because as Jesus departs and the message comes to us that, that the Son is going to glorify the Father and the Father is going to glorify the Son, that we need to know this because it's all about worship. And Jesus is going away. And Jesus going to the cross. That Jesus is going to glorify himself in the cross. And that he's going to glorify the Father in the cross. He's going to die for the sins of humanity. And there's, there's a glory in there. And then as the Father raises the Son from the dead, and and there's a glory taking place in the the crucifixion of Jesus and the resurrection of Christ, that we find the Father and the Son being glorified. And that matters to us because it's all about worship. Glory means weightiness or worthiness. And maybe to give an example of Of the distinction that we we need to be able to make at at this seeing Jesus being glorified. And and we can find the distinction in the combination between brownies and the Grand Canyon. So I happen to stand in awe of both. I can smell the brownies cooking in our home and I just, I'm like (laughs) hallelujah. But when I approach a brownie, uh, I'm in awe because I get to consume it. I get to take it in. It exists for my pleasure, and I enjoy it for my own ends. When I go to the Grand Canyon and stand at the rim, I can't consume it. it there's no way it exists just for my pleasure. There's something so grand about it that I'm humbled, that it changes my perspective as I stand there and I look at the vastness of this canyon. And so it is with our grasp of the cross. Jesus dying on the cross for our sins and and God raising them from the dead. I think oftentimes we can be tempted as Christians to, to treat the cross in the resurrection like an item in a video game. That we go around, and we pick it up, and we put it in our inventory. And then whenever we come across some kind of, uh, uh, some kind of uh, threat or a challenge or some kind of adventure that we need the inventory of Jesus on our side, we, we click on our inventory and we pull out a little bit of the cross. We pull out a little bit of God's love and we use it when we need to use it as though it were a brownie. And what Jesus says, listen, I'm leaving, but you need to get this. My leaving also involves my glorification, the glorification of the Father. And I'm not just an item you're going to pick up and put in your inventory and pull out when you need to, to have and use it. I'm being glorified. It's the weightiness. It's, it's the, the worthiness of God the Father and God the Son. And maybe it might be worth just noting here, and this is, it's probably going to sound a bit like a warning, and, and, and quite possibly it should, for, for me, for you, for all of us. It turns out that our lives will reflect the worthiness we attribute to God. Our lives will reflect our understanding of the worthiness of God and if we find him to be worthy if we find that we stand at the edge of the grand can if we stand at the edge of God if we look upon what God has done and we find it just be incredibly worthy that be not because we've designated so but because God has shown it to be so then our lives will reflect that but if we find that we're more casual and we just put God in our inventory and pull him out then we'll see that pattern in our lives as well all right, so if that's the message of glorification, let's go to the message of love, the love message. And here the key word is love. It comes to us in this text. It's verses 34 and 35. And so we read there, um, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Love. It's a new commandment. And at the same time, it's an old commandment. You know that. If you read through the Old Testament, Leviticus 19, 18, love your neighbor as yourself love. But it's also a new commandment, or as some commentators say, a fresh commandment, or, or a now commandment. And they point to Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 through 34. So this is that place hundreds of years before the time of Jesus, and God speaks to His people. He says, listen, I'm going to establish a new covenant with you it's not like the old covenant that I established through Moses. It's a new covenant. And what I'm going to do in this new covenant, I'm going to take my law, and I'm going to write it on your heart. You know, you're not going to need to have a whole series of priests or or prophets to to interpret it for you. You're going to know me, each person. Each person is going to know me, and I'm going to forgive your iniquities, and I'm going to remember your sins no more. So this new covenant has a calling for us as we form this new relationship with God, as God forms this new relationship with us, that we would then know that the law of God for us is that we would love one another. It's interesting, one another. We know know that um, uh, we're to love our enemies uh, and to do good to those who persecute us. Jesus taught that we, we know that we're to love all people. We're to love uh, our, our, our neighbor as whoever is in need around us. We have those stories, the, the story of the Good Samaritan, and, and that love is action-oriented. We're to do these selfless acts of uh, caring for others. That's, we're called to do that. But he says here, this new commandment, love one another. Love other Christians and then he puts this word in there, it's this little small word, it's kathos, and, and, and kathos can mean just as, so love just as I have loved you, that would be a standard, that I'm the standard for this, you love each other is the standard I've set. Uh, Dale Brenner in his commentary pulls together a number of other commentaries and shows that it can also mean from, so that love one another from the love that I've shown you. So at one and the same time, we can find here that Jesus is the standard for the love we share and is also the source for the love we share. Thankfully, we can find we have clear passages elsewhere in Scripture that affirm both those things. We love in the way of Christ. We love because we've been loved by Christ. And from this this love message, maybe there's two things in addition for us to note. One is the purpose of this commandment that Jesus gives us the impact, our love for one another turns out to be our calling card to the rest of the world. It it identifies us as followers of Jesus. Let's play a quick word association game. I say Adam, you say? (laughs) Very good. I was afraid all of you would go apples in that. Okay, um, if I say lost, you say? Very good. If I say bride, you say, you guys are awesome. If I say hot dog, you say, see, it all fell apart, right? This one will get all correct. We'll all get this one. I say peas, you say, disgusting, right? Because they're just vile, Um, they're of the devil. So from Jesus' perspective, the word association, the the example association he wants to lift up is that when people would see Christians loving one another, not just emotionally, but actively, actually loving, selfless care for one another, that they would go, they're Jesus followers. They would make the association, I see love, I see a Jesus follower. I see love, I see a Jesus follower. I see self sacrificing care for another, I see a Jesus follower. Love one another as I have loved you. Because when we love one another, others will know that we are His disciples. Our loving one another has a missionary impact. Therefore, if we gossip, if we show prejudice against people within the faith because they happen to uh, have grown up in another brand of Christianity, if we show intolerance for one another, if we create strife in our community that distorts people's image of who Jesus is. Love one another. I'm going away. I want you to love one another. The other thing just to point out here is that notice what he doesn't say. Jesus doesn't say, hey, uh, I'm going away. Love God. You know, if you love God, everyone will know that you're my disciples. Doesn't say that. We know that he's elsewhere said, hey, here's the greatest commandment, say you love the Lord your God with all, all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. So yes, love God. <laughs> Please don't walk out here going, Bob said we didn't have to love God. No, we're called to love God, but in this situation, I'm going away. Here's what I want you to do. Love one another, because then they'll know you're my disciples. Our love for each other is a necessary manifestation of our love for God. In fact, in 1 John four twenty. The last part of it, it says, He who does not love his brother or sister, his brother in the faith or his sister in the faith, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. The message to love. So let's put all all this together. Jesus says, Where I am going, you cannot come. It's a departure. He's going to be with the Father. He's going into the divine realm, and there's going to be other comings and goings. We're going to find them and discover them. Jesus is going to talk about them in the passages that we have coming up in the coming Sundays. A lot more comings and goings. But for right now, in this section of Scripture, I am going away. You cannot come. Here's what I want you to know. I'm going to get glorified. The Father's going to be glorified. We're going to glorify each other. This is a a time of my, my worthiness, God's worthiness being demonstrated. And so we worship in response to the worthiness of God. And worship comes down to what we do with our time and our wealth and our energy and our thoughts and our relationships. Worship is not just about whether you raise your hands or keep your hands like all good Presbyterians do at their side. It's not about hymns or praise songs. It's not about... Worship is about recognizing the grandeur of God and living accordingly in this world. With the message of Jesus' departure, then we also are called to love, that our calling is to manifest the love given by Christ and modeled by Christ. And we manifest this love to other Christians. Yes, we'll love other people. Yes, we will. We will love people all over the world. Even the people that stand oppose us, we will love them but we will love one another. That's our calling. So we'll love other Christians at home. We'll love other Christians in the community. We'll love other Christians on our sports team, not as a clique, but as an open invitation, always offering that please come and join us, that other people go, I'm really interested the way you treat each other. It's beautiful. I want to be a part of that. We love other Christians at work. We even love other Christians in our church.